Good morning. There we go. Made sure to have it on mute during the, uh, the singing, because I sing too loud anyways. I, I'm grateful for a church that, that uh, sings loud enough that, that I don't stand out too much. I, uh, I've had the opportunity to visit a couple different churches uh, with Anna uh, doing the CEF presentation, uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship presentation, and not all churches sing as loud as we do, and, and people who recognize good, good music are embarrassed for me when, the, when I just belt it out. I'm not embarrassed. I'm never embarrassed, but people who are People who recognize good music are embarrassed for me when I'm by far the loudest person in the church. But I, first off, I want to say thank you to Pastor for letting me speak. Um, I always thoroughly enjoy uh, being able to preach from this pulpit. I respect this pulpit a lot, and, and uh, thank you to him for that. Um, when Pastor first asked me to, there was a couple different dates that were available. Um, we weren't sure which, which date I was going to be speaking and, uh, and uh, a couple of them were before Christmas, and I got kind of excited about it. I've never actually preached a Christmas sermon, um, and then it settled down to, to, to this, the Sunday after Christmas, and I thought, well, it's still December. Can I get away with it? Um, and after going through December and, and hearing the Christmas story 738 times through through programs and sermons and kids programs and adventures and odyssey and and kids books that my kids still need me to read to them so i get it it's i'm i'm never going to say that i'm tired of the christmas story but eventually you start thinking you know there's a lot of other bible here so but it is still december so i'm going to tie it in a little bit we uh we talk about the the story you've all heard the story the christmas story but i wanted to i wanted to Look at, then what? So Mary and Joseph came to Bethlehem, had, the, had baby Jesus, then what? And I'm not talking about visiting the temple eight days later. I'm not talking about the flight to Egypt. I'm, I'm saying, what did, what did they do with the message, the good tidings of great joy? There were people that, that had great truth, what did they do with it? Well, obviously, we know the wise men, oh, they worshipped. They brought gifts of worship. They, they worshipped through giving, something that we have an opportunity to do. The, uh, we know Mary, uh, Luke says that Mary hid those things in her heart. She, she, she kept them uh, special, at a special place in her heart. I, I think she worshipped in her heart to Jesus. She, commu- she communed with God through, through the, the deliverance of her baby who, who was the savior of the world. I think that's beautiful. The, the shepherds went back to their flocks telling everyone that they could about the birth of the Messiah, Jesus who had come in a manger. They proclaimed it out to everyone that would hear. All these are great things um, to do to do with the story. You know, what, what should you do with the story? Tell people. Worship God through it. Uh, hold it in your heart as dear. All these things are great things to do. But, you know, they only had 
they only had the first part of the gospel. You know, the shepherds, the wise men, Mary, they only had the first part of the gospel. Jesus came. And still their reaction was this, to, to celebrate this, to worship through this. And now with the completed scriptures, looking back, we have the entirety of the gospel. Yes, Jesus came, then he lived a perfect and holy life, and then he gave his life on the cross for us, for the people who put him there to save us from sins. And ultimately, he rose again to give us victory over sin, to give us victory over death. That's the whole gospel, the whole message. The, the good news of the gospel got a lot better with the, the whole story, right? It was, it was great that Jesus came, got a lot better with the whole story. So what do we do with it now? The shepherds, the wise men, Mary, worshipped, gave, told, What do we do with the whole story? The whole, luckily, the whole New Testament talks about this, what we can do with the story of the gospel now that we have it. Um, I don't have time to go through the whole New Testament, so we're going to focus on one passage. I like to focus on one passage. If you do have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 4. And honestly, you can probably just leave your Bible open. I'm going to spend almost the whole sermon right in this passage. 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 6 right now. 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Therefore, having this ministry, and this ministry is talking back to verse 3, what he talks about, ministering the new covenant, ministering the deliverance of Jesus telling people about the ministry of Jesus. Therefore, we, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Bear with me as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would reveal this passage to us today. Help us to understand what Paul was talking about and help us to understand what you meant to to instruct us with, with this passage. Guide me and help me to deliver your message clearly. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we can deliver this package, we could package this passage, unpack, oh boy, we can unpack this message clearly um, in, in the form of four questions. I think if we ask ourselves four questions, we can, we can understand what this passage is saying. The first question I want to ask ourselves is what, what is the highest good 
of the good news of the gospel? What is the, what is the chief end of the gospel? The, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is it trying to accomplish? What, what is the one ultimate thing it is trying to accomplish? I asked that question six different ways. Let's go with the last one. What is the one ultimate thing the gospel is trying to accomplish? If, it's, if it comes down to one thing, what is that thing? Peace. Peace. Well, you know, there's a lot of good answers. There is, there is a lot of good answers. But there, I think there's only, and I think this passage reveals to us only one ultimate answer. Now, to, to build up this ultimate answer, I'm going to give you ten things that are not the ultimate chief end of the glory of the gospel. So, when I say the ultimate purpose of the gospel is not these ten things, you'll understand how, how important it is, because these ten things are good things. I'm building you up here. These ten things are really good things, and the ultimate purpose is greater than these. The gospel's ultimate purpose is not justification. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is not forgiveness of sins or the removal of God's wrath, or redemption from guilt. The the ultimate purpose of the gospel is not liberation from slavery to sin, or salvation from hell, or entrance into heaven, or eternal life, or deliverance from pain and sickness of the earth. And it is not the new heaven and the new earth. Now, those 10 things that I just listed are really, really, really good things, right? Though, though they're very important to us. They have, they have given us hope. These 10 things have given us incredible joy and, and hope and, and lives worth living. But I think, I think that, that they're not the ultimate end. They are not... They are not the be-all and end-all of why God sent his son to be born, to live, to die, to raise again for us. Let's look back in verse 4 and 6. I think these verses parallel themselves a little bit. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. So these are the people who don't have access to the ultimate good of the gospel, blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then look down at verse 6, the opposite, these are the people that have it, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's, that's creation. The God who said, let there be light, he's the same God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God. The, glory, the light of the glory of God is, is ultimately what God is accomplishing in the gospel, in the message, in the whole story, the whole sending of his son to live, to die, to be, to be raised again from the dead. That is the message, to be glorified. 
and all of the other things, all those 10 things that I listed that are very, very good, ultimately point back to the glory of God. Now, glory is something, sometimes it's hard for us to understand, but it shouldn't be. Glory is something that we get. Glory is something that we, we see every day here on earth. We see, we see it in sports. If any of you are Red Wings fans, you can think back to, to the days of, of Iserman and, and Lidstrom and Zetterberg and, and the glory that they brought to Detroit through bringing the Stanley Cups here and the, the just awesome, awesome things that they did. It was, it was exciting. If any of you are Pistons fans, the 2005 Pistons, the, the bad boys, the way they had teamwork, the way they won with defense, it was, it was glorious. That's what glory means. If any of you are Lions fans... I hope you're really old, because Bobby Lane or somebody, I'm not sure, I had to look that up. The Lions didn't have a lot of glory. We understand what glory is. It's, it's, something, that, it's something that we can see. It's, it's something that excites us. And, and chances are most of us, you know, remember moments of glory in our own lives, and, and we hold those, you know, as dear treasures when when we were victorious and whatever it is. But we can see glory. And if you still have a problem with the word glory, the word beauty is, is an all right substitute. The beauty of, I mean, it's a little funny when you apply it to sports, but the beauty of a great goal, I mean, you can understand that. It's, a, it's an incredible, awesome thing. The, the glory of Christ, the glory of God, these are the same things. I, I think it, I think, Verses 4 and 6 kind of parallel these things. Verse 4 talks about the glory of Christ. Verse 6 talks about the glory of God. But then it, on both accounts, it switches around. Verse 4 says, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? Verse 6 says, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think both of them are the glory of God who is the, which is made visible to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I think it's talking about the same glory. But this is the ultimate end. This is the, the, the purpose of everything that God has done for us in this book. The glory of God. How awesome that is. And, and the, the radiant beauty and glory of God comes, from, comes to us from the life of Christ. It's, it's the central highest good of of the gospel, of the good news, of the message of Jesus Christ. And all these other eternal goods, these 10 things I listed, justification and, and freedom from hell and freedom from suffering, ultimate freedom from suffering, these are, all, these are all subservient to the glory of God. Justification only matters if it comes from the highest authority. If, if you were involved in a local situation and you were taken be- before the Lapeer County judge and for whatever reason it was, it was kicked up to state, state court and for whatever reason it was kicked up to the circuit court and, and then ultimately it was kicked up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court was looking at your situation, your case, whatever it might be, was, was judging that. And then the Lapeer County judge came back and said, listen, I went through it, you're justified in your actions, you're guiltless, you're free to go. That doesn't matter. He's, he's from Lapeer. The, the national courts are looking at it. The, the authority of 
of a local dude is, is you know, it's nice. But if, if, if there's a higher authority, a local guy, his authority doesn't matter. Ultimately, God, God's glory manifested through Jesus shows that he is the highest authority. <coughs> shows that he is the greatest good, the greatest authority. And when he justifies us, when he says, you're guiltless, you're free to go, that can never be superseded. Because, because justification is very important to us, it's only effective if God is glorified. And, and all these other things are subservient to, to the glory of God. And ultimately, ultimately, if any of these other things, justification, forgiveness of sins, are, are done for reasons other than for the glory of God, they're done for the wrong reasons. Take forgiveness of sins. If you say, why, why, do, you, why do you want to be forgiven of your sins? It's kind of an important answer. Why do you want to be forgiven of your sins? You can say, so I don't go to hell. Ultimately, that's a bad answer. It's a, it's a true answer. It's one of my answers. Ultimately, I don't want to go to hell. That's, that's why I want forgiveness of sin. But I want forgiveness of sin for a higher purpose. Take, for instance, if I were to, if, if, if I had a situation at home and, and I was really busy and I asked my wife to do something, and, and for whatever reason, uh, it, it got left undone. And the next morning, I tripped over whatever it was. And out of, out of anger, I said, I asked you to take care of that last night. She's barely awake. She, I, just, I just bite at her. You know, I sin against her. I, I do something unkind. It doesn't matter that, you know, whether she took care of it or not. My reaction was a sin. I sin against my wife at that point. Then 15 minutes later, as we're packing the kids' bags, whatever we're doing, and there's, there's ice in the air, there's no, this never happens. It just never happens. <laughs> it, 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 there's, there's tension. You know, what do I need? I need forgiveness because of my sinful action to, excuse me, to her. I need forgiveness. Why do I need forgiveness? Yeah, it's not, it's not, like there's plenty of wrong answers, right? I could say, you know, I, I hate going to work with a guilty conscience. That might be true, but it's a wrong answer. I need forgiveness from my wife to, to repair our relationship so I can have her turn and smile at me. That's, that's, that's the ultimate end of, of why I need forgiveness from my wife so I can have a good relationship with her so, so our, our relationship can be whole again. Ultimately, the reason we need forgiveness from God is because, because we can't see his glory when there's sin standing between us and him. That's, that's why all of these things, all of these, all, all these eternal goods that come with the gospel are ultimately tied back to the glory of God. That's why it's so important. So the first question is, what is the ultimate good of the gospel what is the ultimate final end, the purpose of the gospel? Is the glory of God, God being glorified through Jesus Christ, 
him being lifted up. All ten of those things are great, but ultimately they have to be dependent on the glory of God. The second question that I want to ask is, what is the obstacle that keeps you from that good news, the good news of the gospel? What is the obstacle? What is standing in your way or, or what used to stand in your way? Now, hopefully, hopefully many of you know Christ as your Savior and you no longer have that obstacle standing in your way, but, but at some point, everybody has had an obstacle standing in their way from the good news. We see this back in verses 3 and 4. It says, And even if our gospel, our, our message, the news that we're telling, is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, if you have this veil on your face, you will not recognize the good news when it is told to you. You will not, when, when someone comes to you and says, hey, can I tell you about something that's changed my life? And they tell you what God has done for them, the change that God has brought about in their lives. Or when you're listening to the radio and you're listening to WNBC and a, a preacher comes and preaches the gospel and it's clear, you know, when there's a veil in front of your face, you cannot grasp the import of that whether it's your mom telling you or or it's a book that you're reading whatever it is when there is a veil in front of you when your eyes are blinded there's nothing that you can do on your own to recognize the glory of God we can see glory in sports we can see we can see glory when it happens on our job or in our lives we can see glory but we can't see the ultimate glory because of our sin nature and Satan, as it says in verse 4, the God of this world holding that veil over our face. We are blinded to the glory of God. We can see echoes of God's glory in, in nature, in the stars, but we cannot see the, the true glory of God on our own, in our own strength, just by determining that we want to. So that's, that's kind of a depressing question. I, 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 you know, the question too is, what's standing in our way? A veil that we can't see past. Blindness that Satan is holding over our eyes. That's what's holding us back. That's what's keeping us from the glory of God. So the third question is, what happened, or, or still needs to happen, depending on where you are, to get you past that obstacle, to get you to that good news? So this is where we go down to verse 6. For God said, for the God who said, the same God that said, let light shine out of darkness in creation, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, a Christian doesn't always understand how they became a Christian at the point of salvation. They, they don't understand what, everything that goes into salvation when they, when they kneel before the throne of God. But it's the same thing with, you know, a child. A child doesn't understand how he's brought into existence when they're born, obviously. 
It's usually some, I don't know, five or six years old. They start being inquisitive about those things. And then it's okay to tell them about the stork delivery and all those things at that point. But, but you know, a, a child in infancy doesn't understand, doesn't understand what brought them into existence. And the same is true with a Christian. We don't, when we, when we see people who first become Christians, they might say something like, my friend was telling me about Christ and I realized that I needed to do something about my sinful condition, so I prayed and I accepted Christ's payments for sin. You know, that's a beautiful thing to hear and, and, and not, the, not the right time to, to argue with them about semantics. That, that's something that should be celebrated when somebody says that. But when you start to read God's word, when you start to look at his, what he says about our condition, you, you begin to realize that it isn't, it isn't some mental breakthrough that we have that brings us to Christ. It's God himself revealing his son to us. It's God taking the veil out of, out of our way, opening our eyes so that we can see. So let's read this one more time. Verses three through six. I love rereading passages of scripture. So verses three through six. And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In those people's case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 5 says, but we proclaim them Jesus Christ. Then verse 6 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of God. Of Jesus Christ. God is the one who turns on the light. He is the one who gives understanding. He is the one who removes the veil that Satan's trying so hard to, under, to, to hold in place. You know, he, he might use something mundane. He might use a book that you're reading. He might use, he might use a, a, a sermon on tithing. He might use flipping through the radio and just catching a snippet of a sermon. He might, ch- might use an encouraging word from a family member. But when God chooses to open your eyes, that is when you have the opportunity to recognize what he does. That is, that is what you, when you have, when you start to realize the importance of God's love and forgiveness. That, that's the Holy Spirit leading you. That's God opening your eyes. That is the one thing that we need. Our eyes opened so that we can see the gospel, so that we can see the glory of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we need. God to move in us, to reveal our path to come back to him. So we have, we have what the ultimate good is, we have why we can't get to that ultimate good, and then we have what we need to get to that ultimate good. It's not something that we do, it's something that God does. But then verse four, oh, excuse me, question four, the fourth question, what can we do to help someone reach that good news? If, if the gospel, if the glory of God is the ultimate end, the ultimate purpose of the gospel, what can those of us who are saved do to get people to that point where they can accept the gospel of God. If God's the one that turns the light on or removes the veil, what can we do? What we, what we can't do is make the logical leap 
and say, since God is the one that does it, we don't matter. We don't have, we don't have any responsibility because God is the one that opens the lights. We, we can't open people's eyes for them. We can't reveal the truth to them. It doesn't matter what we do. If we make that logical leap, we are, we are sinning and we're kind of foolish because it's, it's not how God has set it up. I skipped over verse 5 earlier. Let's go back and read verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We come before the world, we who have the message of God, the, the gospel, we come before the world as servants, presenting them the good news of Jesus Christ, for the sake of Christ, presenting them the gospel. That's what, what we have a responsibility to. For, for whatever reason, God chose to use us. Sandwiched there in this passage between blindness in verse 4 and sight brought about by God in verse 6 is man proclaiming the good news of Christ. That's what we have a responsibility to do. God reveals him, God does not reveal himself to people who have not heard. He only reveals himself to people who have been presented the word of God. And he uses us for that purpose. He uses us telling someone the gospel, telling someone our salvation story, handing a track, handing a portion of scripture to someone so that they can understand hearing a preacher on the radio, whatever it is, that is, there, there has to be a presentation of truth before God will open people's eyes to that truth. If, they do, if they've never heard the truth, they cannot have their eyes open. When we tell people about the gospel of Christ, we don't do a miracle. When we tell people about the gospel of Christ, we give them the opportunity for God to do a miracle in their lives. That's a pretty awesome responsibility that we have. In Paul's first letter um, to the Corinthians, most of you probably know this by heart. I kind of know by heart, but I'm going to read it so I don't mess it up. First Corinthians 3, 5 through 7, uh, Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You know, farmers are pretty essential to crops. Without someone planting and tending, there would be no food. But a farmer doesn't make the crop grow. Uh, that's absolutely right. God does. All a farmer does, he sticks the seed in the ground. Maybe he makes the dirt work right. I don't know. Dirt is dirt, but sometimes dirt isn't dirt. I don't know, but he makes the dirt right, and he puts the seed in the ground, and he makes sure there's water, and what happens next, for all intents and purposes, is a miracle. The seed turns into a plant. We don't really know how that works. God, God gives the increase. A farmer does everything that he is supposed to do. He puts the seed there and lets it be, and God is the one that gives the increase, and, and a person saying they aren't going to witness because it's God that opens people's eyes is just as foolish as a farmer saying they're not going to plant anything because after all, it's not me who makes plants grow, it's God. That doesn't make any sense at all. It's foolish. God is the one that makes it grow, but we have to be willing to plant. We have to, to be ready to do what we need to do, to do our part. 
If you are a Christian, you are called to do this ministry, this ministry of telling people the good news of Christ. That is what we are called to do. You might say, Nathan, I'm, I'm not a confident person. I'm not, I don't talk to people. I don't, I don't think I'm worthy of carrying this message. This is, I'm just not comfortable with this. You know, we, we have a, a million excuses. And the truth is we are not worthy of carrying this message. Back in 2 Corinthians 4, down to verse 7, this is where this passage gets really, really beautiful. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. If you have an old translation, it might say in earthen pots. We have this treasure, the gospel, the glory of Jesus Christ in really ucky bottles. That's us. We're ucky bottles. We, I might be a parent. Ucky bottles. We have, we, we have a great, great message contained in imperfect, flawed failures of human beings. Jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. You know, we don't have to do a good job presenting the gospel. We don't have to make it flowery and beautiful and, and ornate and convincing and logically precise. And we don't have to do that. What we have to do is tell people. What we have to do is show people the truth. We are simple creatures but we need to, to tell the story, the greatest story the world has ever known. Through the power of God, that message, that simple story can bring enormous change, can bring unbelievable impact in the people that we tell this simple story to. It's not us that brings unbelievable impact. All we do is, is hand over the message that we have, the message that God has entrusted to us. That's what we are commanded to do. You know, if you keep reading in chapter four, you, you'll see that it's not easy. It's not, it's not simple. It's not something that doesn't ever have problems. And if you look at the life of Paul, you'll realize that sometimes presenting the gospel can be disastrous to you physically. But it is a task that we have been given to tell the story, the birth of a child who lived, who died for us so that we can be reconciled to God and then rose victorious over death so that we could be victorious over death. That is our message. That is our mandate as Christians to tell. I ask you guys to bow your head, close your eyes. If, if this story if the gospel has changed your life, which I hope for you, for most of you it is, it has, God has commanded you to share it with others. God has, has ordained us to present that to those people who need to hear it so we can change their lives too, so God can change their lives too. But if this story hasn't changed your life, if you have not accepted Christ, if you have not embraced his story for your own, but you're beginning to understand the importance of it, the, the impact of it. I want to pray for you because I think that's God beginning to work in your life, beginning to open your eyes, beginning to remove the veil that this world and our, our sinful selves holds over our own eyes. 
I'm going to ask Ron to play for just a minute. I would ask you to consider what it is in your life that God is asking you to do. Take a couple minutes, pray before God, and ask him to direct you in presenting his word and recognizing his word and responding to it.